He played carol gun. His rating was higher. But from move seventeen, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife, and my almighty queen a beast on each six. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Chahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com. And that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca. And oh, what a season it's been for chess. With no time pressure, I'd crush it once and for all. Hello, this is Jennifer Shahadi. I'm back with another episode of Ladies Night. And today I'm with Megan Lee, our new U.S. Women's Open champion. She won the tournament with four and a half out of five in Las Vegas as part of the Las Vegas International Chess Festival. Megan is a name that you've heard for a while. She's 22 years old. So she was very prominent in the scholastic chess scene. But unlike some scholastic players, she's kept with it throughout college and now past college. She's a graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design, incredible design school. And she has her website, Megan Lee Productions, where you can find out about all of her projects and inventions. Megan, thank you so much for joining us after your big win. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about the U.S. Women's Open. Why did you decide to play this tournament? You're so busy. You just started a new job in Seattle. So I actually finished my first job in San Jose and I didn't have another job lined up. So I was really interested in delving into the chess scene during the summer. Um, So I decided to play in a few tournaments, the National Open and then the World Open. Uh, The women's just happened to line up with uh, that schedule. So you have a lot of experience from playing chess in your scholastic days. Um, Did you play in a lot of women's tournaments and girls' tournaments then? And how did you compare the two? Like, which ones did you look forward to more? I played in a few um, girls' tournaments when I was younger. Some of the Polgar tournaments and the Kasparov um, Chess Foundation. A lot of the younger players in the girls' tournaments do tend to come out for the women's, which is really exciting. Um, And it shows, like, how strong chess is coming throughout the younger crowd. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this one, though, it's a women's tournament. So that's a little bit different. There are were women of all different ages. What was your perspective on this tournament? I think it's cool to see a lot of international um, players, uh, which you normally don't see at a scholastic level. And now you're playing in the National Open, which is a nine rounder for the first time ever, which means that you can actually earn norms. Um, Do you have any norms yourself yet? Uh, I don't currently have any norms. I think I'm mostly focused on just improving my chess and trying to play better. How do you do that? Because a lot of people after graduating high school or college, they usually go into other things and sometimes chess takes a backseat. How do you continue to improve in chess um, when you get busier? I think steps towards improving often involve um, studying your own games a lot and um oftentimes studying more than you're playing. I think that's important um, because playing often can be really fun. And I myself like to play a lot. But if you want to get better, I think you have to start studying at some point. 
Do you mostly study on your own or do you have a coach? I mostly study on my own. Um, my older brother, Michael Lee, he also helps me study and a few friends also. My brother also is older, two years older, and he's a chess player as well. You know him from the U.S. chess schools. I am Greg Shahadi. And how did that work with your brother? People always ask me if we played, and we actually rarely played. Sometimes we studied together, but we rarely played except, you know, once in a while a blitz game. Um, how about you and Michael? Uh, we also rarely play. I think there's, of course, that sibling rivalry. And sometimes we get paired in chess tournaments, and that's also exciting. Um, but... I think we like to just study together as opposed to play. And when you've played together in serious tournaments, what was the most memorable of those games? I think we've only played twice. Um, I think I had him on the ropes uh, for two of the games, for both of the games. And I ended up beating him in the last time we played. And what about the other one? I lost that game. Oh, no, I, t- I just I meant to just ask you about the most memorable one. So only talk about the one that you won. That was, <laughs> that, that was, that was like my original intention, and I messed it up. No, that's all right. <laughs> so the game that you won, what was the arc of the game? Uh, I think it, it happens, like, with opening preparation. My brother knows you, and he told me that you're a great Blitz and Bug House player. And that you were, he said that you really love them. Are, who's your favorite Bug House partner? I think... Kazem Gulamali, he's really good at bug house. He goes by Vavoris. He's definitely one of the best bug house players, I think. I know Kazem. He's here, actually. Um, so you've been on a team with him before? Uh, yeah, we play online. So, or we used to play online sometimes. So you must be really good at bug house. I feel like you're under you're underselling yourself because if Kazem wants you as a partner, it must mean you're like really good. Actually, I think it's the other way around. I think he's, he's definitely much better than I am. Uh, and he's nice enough to play with me sometimes. But <laughs> I think... Uh, I'm pretty good at chess variants overall. I think to get good at bug house, there's a lot of like pattern recognition and knowing when's the right moment to attack. And of course, having a good partner um, chemistry is also important. So what other variants do you like besides bug house? I like suicide or anti-chess. Um, and then I also play a couple like crazy house, king of the hill, etc. <laughs> so crazy house, kind of similar to bug house, but you play on your own. Um, why is that not as popular as Bug House? I think because there's already an imbalance in the game when you start. I think White's already slightly better from the offset. In Crazy House? In crazy House. The advantage is a little bigger than it would be in traditional chess? Yeah. Why is that? I think because the initiative is so important um, and being able to control the peace flow, um, White just gets an advantage that way fascinating i mentioned earlier that you're a designer and you're an inventor and like as you talk about all these variants i'm wondering if you've ever thought about inventing a chess game or some kind of product related to chess that would make all of our chess lives better without giving away any million dollar chess ideas have you ever thought of anything that should be invented but isn't i don't think currently i think there's a lot of good chess variants out there um notably like sarah Wan's game uh which i Played. I think Greg actually introduced me to that game uh, when Sarah Wan was in Seattle during the Seattle US chess school. So that was pretty fun. What did you like about Sarah Wan chess? It was definitely the way the pieces were combined was really interesting. I think most chess variants, why they're appealing is they make you think in different ways. And I think that can help you uh, with your normal chess game also. Yeah, and they make you think about what's 
whether chess is perfect because the rule set is perfect or because of the lineage of history. Because I think we sometimes take for granted, well, chess is just a perfect game. Maybe it's not the perfect game, and yet the reason it has so much power is because we've been playing it for centuries. No matter how great a game you make, you can't replace that historical lineage that we're playing the same game as Morphe. I think uh, chess also hasn't yet been solved, which is also part of the excitement. Also, like with humans, uh, we always make mistakes. So I think being even though if you memorize uh, like thousands of computer lines, there'll always be like some sort of crack. If you were going to design a chair, per se, to play chess, I know this is funny because to you guys listening, Megan has designed a chair. I'm going to let her explain a little bit more about this really beautiful chair that you designed. So I designed uh, during college a chair that was designed for a risky play within an office space. Um, So it would collapse every time a user would sit on it. And due to unexpected, uh, the unexpected drop of the chair, they would feel like a rush of excitement. So we were trying to create a sort of excitable piece of furniture within the office space. They knew going into it, it was going to collapse. Uh, so some people knew, um, but other it, it would look like a normal chair. So there would often be unus- unsuspecting guests. <laughs> right, but you would make sure like an only able-bodied people would sit yeah. on a chair. No, nobody where it would cause like a crazy anxiety attack or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so why don't you use that in your chess games? Yeah, maybe. That would be interesting. <laughs> but seriously, I'm sure I'm sure that with the chair design, a lot of thought and work went into it. And because it's such a fascinating field and probably very lucrative too, furniture design in particular chairs. What do you think about the chair that we use, the chairs in chess? Like what would be like the ideal chess chair? I think uh, something comfortable, of course, and then easy to get up from because oftentimes chess players are uh, coming and going from their board. But not too comfortable, right? You don't want to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. You haven't thought too much about the chess chair design yet. Because no. I... <laughs> I feel like in your in your brain, there's something much bigger than comfortable. You're just, you're holding out on us right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll come back to you on that one. How about the chess pieces themselves? Um, do you like the just standard set or have there, any, have there been any other sets that have intrigued you that you've seen online or in person? I'm on the, the board of the World Chess Hall of Fame where we're always like, bringing out these really beautiful, crazy sets, sometimes sometimes beautiful, sometimes crazy, sometimes contemporary artists create these chess sets. And it, it's really fun. Um, have you ever come across anything that struck you? I don't think I've particularly, but I've seen some of the chess sets, not in person, um, at the Chess Hall of Fame. And I'd be excited to go see them in person, I think. You've never been to St. Louis. Uh, I have been to St. Louis for, I think, the first U.S chess school I went to, but I don't think they had the museum yet. You definitely need to go back because when I look at your portfolio, it it really seems that, you know, you're, would you describe yourself as an artist? I think as a maker would be more accurate. I like making things. I think I'm less artistic in the terms, in terms of like drawing and things like that. Okay. This word maker, I think that for some of us, I saw that on your website also, so you, you didn't completely shock me with that, but it's, <laughs> It's kind of like a new, I have heard it before in that context, but it's a little bit of a new idea for me. Is this, is this something very typical in your industry that people describe themselves as makers? And what's the distinction between that and inventor and artist? I think the context with 
or the idea behind maker is that you're making things physically like with your hands. Um, so in design, there's basically two major fields. One's like a digital field where you're doing UI, UX, um, user experience things on a digital interface like apps and things like that. And then people who design physical products. Um, so anything you can touch, basically. And a maker is actually making them with their hands. But w- don't you sometimes outsource things that you can't do? Like if you have to like have somebody, you know, create one of the legs or something? Yeah, but I think uh, most makers, they prototype their own designs first. And then um, when you're man- manufacturing, then you'll outsource the final design. Got it. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So maker, it's like a, when you were in the Rhode Island School of Design, people often refer to themselves as makers. Uh, yeah, I think RISD, um, the Rhode Island School of Design has like a really strong sense of a maker identity because they teach you um, wood and metal classes. So you're really hands on and with the materials. So I actually made a chess set or I designed a chess set and I machined it out of uh, cold rolled steel. I think that's a good material because the pieces are pretty heavy themselves, which is kind of a nice feel when you play with them. Oh, nice. So you made it just that out of what, what steel? What did you say? Uh, cold rolled steel. Okay. Okay. Got it. You should definitely send us a photo of that. I want to see it. Oh yeah. I think it's on my website. I'll send you a link. Oh, great. Yeah. And yeah, I've made chess sets out of poker chips and breast milk. <laughs> So <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. And formula as well. And so the the set, I'm sure we're gonna have a picture of it, but for those of you who are listening on like in their car or while while working out, how did you make it after you decided on the material? Like what does it look like? It's a pretty minimal design, I think, calling out like the main features of each chess piece. Um and then within that they all kind of have a similar look and feel to them. Which one did you find most challenging and exciting as a maker? I think the night was pretty interesting um, because it's kind of hard to put the night in a sort of minimal style. So how do you deal with that? So I tried to call out like the ears of the horse. Um, so I basically had a really simple cylinder that was domed at the top and then I cut a crevice in between the top. And this was a project for... Uh, it was just the final for one of my school projects. Did you get an A? Yeah. <laughs> do you still have the chess set? Yeah, I do. But you're not trying to manufacture it right now. Someone actually just reached out to me to manufacture it, so we'll see how that goes. Great. I'll have to send a link to the World Chess Hall of Fame, too, because it's 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 really just uh, awesome to see that kind of creativity from a chess champion. Of course, artists over history um, have been fascinated by chess, starting with the Louis Chessmen and then Marcel Duchamp, Yoko Ono, um, contemporary artists, but chess champions who also create chess sets, it's a lot rarer. Thank you. <laughs> now, tell us about, a sp- actually, I want to ask you about the night because you said the night is the most challenging, but also exciting as a maker and what I would have thought of as an artist um, until we had this conversation. Uh, Sarawan chess, that adds more nights into the game, right? Mm-hmm. So should there be more night movements in the game? I think maybe chess can evolve that way. I don't, I'm not sure if it needs to necessarily add additional pieces. I think there's a lot of types of chess besides just variants like shogi um, and also Chinese chess that have sort of pieces that move in different 
ways. Um, that's pretty exciting. Like the canon for one, I think in Chinese chess. Yeah, that's so you play those games as well, shogi and Chinese chess. Uh, I've tried a little bit. I think the strategy is sort of different as well. But of all of the variants, what's your number one favorite? If you want to play like a social game, Buckhouse is obviously very fun. Yeah, Fisher Random also is pretty fun game. Fisher Random becoming more popular these days. What type of Fisher Random positions do you like? Um, I think the ones that are less akin to something that you would experience in a normal chess game, because then you're actually playing like real chess as opposed to opening theory. I like uh, I like Fisher Random as well. It's really fun to see how players approach the beginning, mentioning Sarawan. Um, when I've done commentary with him on Fisher Random, it's fascinating just to see how quickly he's able to think of a harmonious way to um, place the pieces. Mm-hmm. So it's, and then sometimes, of course, hanging a pawn, <laughs> which, is, which is saying a lot for Yasser. Yeah. <laughs> it really privileges, I think, that kind of positional strategic talent. A positional sacrifice, I think, is the word. <laughs> <laughs> so Bug House, besides Tazlin, who are the best partners to have? I think Fix, the free internet chess server, used to be really popular back in the day, uh, a few years ago. But now I think it's kind of died off. Besides Kazim Gulamali, who are some of the best bug house players you've ever seen? Daniel Yeager is pretty good. Oleg Zykov, I think, is pretty good also. Jay Killer, Tan the Man. You know, Bughouse is very popular among the elite players these days, especially when they go to St. Louis. Magnus Carlsen, Fabiano Caruana, they're all playing Bughouse all night. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to play uh, Fabi in a Bughouse game way back in college when he visited Brown. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, how'd you do? I ended up winning. <laughs> you beat Fabi? Yeah. Wait, who was your partner? I think another Brown chess team member. And who was Bobby's partner? Alexandra Wiener, maybe. Oh, Alexandra. Okay. She's the president of the chess club, or was at least. And now she's the the, uh, the co-founder of the Corporate Chess League in New York City. Mm-hmm. She actually came up on my last podcast oh, as cool. well. <laughs> Alexandra's everywhere. Small world. Yeah, I think she's in Vegas right now, too. Oh. So you and another unnamed brown chess team member <laughs> beat Bobby and Alexandra. I love it. Love it. Yeah. And you only played one game. Uh, Two, I think. So the other game we don't talk about. Oh, uh, no, we also won that game. You won? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What? You won both? I figured this was going to be similar to the one with your brother, where the first game you won and oh. the second you didn't. <laughs> I think um, there's a sort of imbalance if you don't play Bug House that often. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine, because I, I heard that Fabi's one of the best Bug House players now, but I remember after he won the Sinkfield Cup with this, like, ridiculous score, starting out with 7-0, um, Levon was, was teasing him, because Levon Aronian is one of the best at teasing people. And really oh, he's funny, also right? really good at Bug House, I think. Yeah, I think I had the opportunity to play him, and he totally crushed me. Um, oh, you, online. Online. Oh, yeah, okay. He's supposed to be the... He, a lot of people say he's, like, the number one. Um, if you ask, I feel like he's the one that comes up the most as the num- numero uno. But anyway, he was joking that Fabiano, after he won the Singfield Cup with like eight and a half out of ten, he's like, yeah, Fabiano is the worst Bughouse <laughs> player of all time. <laughs> I think the better you are at chess, the harder it is to be good at Bughouse because of your valuation of the pieces. Now he's had so many years of experience from these like post Singfield Cup you know, analysis session. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's he's probably one of the best as well right now. So he's going to need a rematch against I'll you. Have to, I'll have to watch out. Give him another chance. Yeah. So to come back to the chess here in this tournament, you got a four and a half out of five. What was your toughest game? I think my 
fourth round game against Claudia Munoz was pretty tough. Um, as well as uh, my second round against Sandia Goli, where I drew that game. Um, I think the game against Claudia was interesting because it was a kind of um, back and forth between slightly better and equal, and I wasn't actually sure if I could convert that game. Um, but the clock ran down, and I eventually was able to win. Yeah, she's a she's a pretty impressive woman. Um, I was great to see her here. So, bug house. Should there be a women's bug house tournament? <laughs> I think uh, there should be more bug house tournaments in general. I think that would be pretty fun to see if more women come out to tournaments. I think maybe we can start a women's league or a mixed doubles. Maybe who's the best? Are you the best female bug house player? Uh, I don't think so. I think um, oh Helms Knight. I forget her real name, but. She goes by Helms Knight, I think. She's very good. So she plays Bug House on her stream a lot, I presumably. Uh, I think so. Yeah, on chess.com. So the game against Claudia was really good, and then your final round game where you played against last year's champion. Was it important for you to win this title in that game, or were you more just, you know, thinking about getting better throughout these this week of chess in Vegas? I think getting better is always at the forefront of my mind. But of course, like it was a must-win sort of situation since there were four very strong chess players tied for first um, going into the last round. Um, so I knew like I would have to win as black or at least not lose. The title, U.S. Women's Open champion, I personally think it's a very impressive title. I mean... To people who are hiring or, you know, college applications, it just seems like a really great title. And I think that this tournament really should grow because, uh, you know, I've seen in my own career how having two U.S. Women's Championship titles have helped me really a lot, opening doors and things like that. So I think that whether or not it's useful for you, I'm not sure with your career arc, probably I think it will be at some point, sometimes just in ways that you can't even predict. But uh more people should come to this tournament, I think, in future years to try to do what you did. Yeah, I definitely hope so. Any tips for people who uh, are thinking about dropping out of chess and after high school or after college? I mean, if I look at the statistics, it's kind of alarming. It's very popular among women in elementary school. And then there are two big drop-off points in around 13 and then again in college. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people see chess as either like I'll go professional or I'll just do something else professionally but I think there's a in-between that people often miss out on. I think it's possible to do both maybe not chess professionally but at least as a hobby. I think if someone enjoys chess they should maybe keep pursuing it in the future. Yeah I think one of the reasons is people find that they get rusty that if they don't play uh, they get rusty and they don't want to be inferior versions of previous selves and maybe some people are more immune to that than others but in yourself do you have any specific tips that kind of avoids rust like lots of tactics training or what is it that helps you uh, I often do a lot of tactics training and also analyzing my blitz games online but I think rust or at least having some sort of downwards trajectory is always just a part of chess um, and if you want to get better, you'll always have to go through the bad times, so to speak. Yeah. So you're saying um, you analyze your own blitz games. Uh, how long are those blitz games? Like, what's the shortest blitz game that you can profitably analyze? I think for opening preparation, I think three minutes is usually the shortest I would go because um, generally people will sit and think about their moves as opposed to bullet or lightning. Um, 
And then I think if you want to get deeper into simulating like actual tournament chess, maybe like 10 minutes or 15 minutes would be a good game to play. I agree with you for your level, but I feel like for people who are listening to this, who are maybe like anywhere from 1500 to 1800, I kind of would steer more towards five minutes plus because remember that your three minute game is going to be a little easier to play your openings quickly and proficiently than somebody who's lower rated. I think I agree with you on that. Um, I also think three minutes is kind of fast to analyze your middle game and end game. I think it's only really good for openings. I'd agree with that. Yeah. From everything you told me, I have a feeling you like one minute chess also. I think I used to back in the day, but I think I've taken a bit of a break from variance and one minute. That's probably good. I used to play one minute sometimes too. And it's just, I think that sometimes it can be fun, but if you get addicted, it's (laughs) <laughs> it's not so good. Yeah, I think the point when it becomes an addiction, you have to take a step back. <laughs> All right, well, thanks so much for joining us, Megan. Um, I'm really excited to keep following your career. Um, Thank you. Well, where where can we follow you? I guess uh, I post on Instagram uh, seldom, but uh, at Mealy Productions, M-E-L-E-E Productions, or on my website, you can usually find my latest projects. Great. Congratulations, our new U.S. Women's Open champion, Megan Lee, 22 years old, Seattle, designer, and now a word that I understand a lot better after this conversation, a maker. If you like this episode of Ladies Night, be sure to check out all of our podcasts at U.S. Chess, including Cover Stories with Chess Life and One Move at a Time. You can find all archived podcast episodes on the tag podcast in our U.S. Chess news section. And if listening to this motivates you to make a donation to U.S. Chess Women and our initiative to bring more girls and women into the game, no amount is too small or too large. So please consider making a donation on our website. Thank you very much. Now according to Sockfish got it all wrong After slightly advantage I had nothing But my dear Capablanco You tell me We'll learn more from our defeats Who needs victory?